Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So if you're in Nehemiah chapter 4, I also want you to open up to Nehemiah chapter 6 and hold your spot right there. So we're going to be in a couple places this evening. You know, it was, it's interesting as we're praying about discouragement, how discouragement is one of those things, those experiences that you and I go through where we feel like no one understands the depth of the discouragement that we are experiencing at that time. Somebody may say, oh, I went through something similar to what you're going through, and we may just kind of look at them and say, yeah, yeah that's great. Never believing that what they're experiencing, uh, what we're experiencing is what they've gone through to the same degree. And it's a very powerful tool that the enemy likes to use. There's a story that on a particular day, it was discovered that the devil was having a yard sale. Yes, even Satan has a yard sale every once in a while. And so he's selling all of his tools and he lays them out to display for any shoppers to get really good look at them. And so as he's doing this, all the items for sale, they had their price tags attached to them. And there were so many dark and insidious utensils. All along the line, you saw jealousy. You saw discontentment, bitterness, deceit, gossip, pride, lying, and so on. And so... Um, there was one conspicuously set aside from all the others. And as you looked at this, you recognized that it was particularly well-worn as an instrument. It had its own case, and it was displayed for all to see. Oh, this was definitely an obviously favorite tool of the enemy. And so as it was priced especially high, when it caught the attention of one of the customers, they asked, well, what do you call this tool? Well, with a, a wry grin on his face, the devil said, well, that, yes, that's, that's discouragement. And why is it so expensive for being so used? Well, the devil replied, because that is more useful to me than all the other tools in my arsenal. You see, with this tool alone, I can pry open and begin to infect a man's heart and mind when I could never get near him with any other tool. It's so badly worn because I use it so often on nearly everyone. And the best feature of this tool is that so few people realize that it belongs to me. And I thought, what an incredible story to consider that's behind so much of our discouragement if we recognize that the enemy was behind that in our lives, it might give us a different perspective. It might help us to kind of say, Lord, help me to be looking to you that much more, recognizing that if there's an enemy who's trying to discourage you, if there's an enemy who's trying to discourage me, then there's a purpose in that that he's trying to accomplish, and there's a purpose that he's trying to keep us from as well. And so when you get discouraged, we're going to look at some things in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 4. I mean, think about the story of Joshua and Caleb. Remember how they went out to spy the land, and there were 10 spies that gave a bad report, and Joshua and Caleb came back. The Bible says in Numbers 32, verse 9, that the children of Israel discouraged the heart, these spies, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So 
the purpose for the enemy to discourage Israel, those ten spies, was to keep them out of God's promises. Makes me wonder tonight, how many of us in this room, sitting here right now, because of discouragement, have kind of thrown up our arms and have been prevented from entering into God's promises for your life tonight? Do you, do you look at that and think, boy, I wonder what God might have done if I had only, if I had just, maybe if I'd hung in there a little bit longer. Well, tonight we're going to take a look. And discouragement prevented over 2.5 million people from entering into the promised land. It's not hard to imagine how discouragement can prevent one believer or two people in a marriage or three more or more in a family or dozens or more in a church family from entering in to God's promises today. Well, Nehemiah, just to kind of give you a little bit of background, in chapter 1, his brother Hanani comes over from Israel, from Jerusalem, <clears throat> and he says, so how are things? What's going on? Jerusalem is burned with fire. The gates are broken down and burned with fire. And so the Bible says that Nehemiah wept. When he wanted to go see what was going on, he spent months in praying and seeking the Lord and planning as well. And then he goes to uh, survey the walls in Jerusalem and share his vision with the people. And they said, after he shared his vision, let's rise up and build and it was going great. Everything is going so well because the Bible says in verse uh, 6 of chapter 4 that the people had a mind to work. And it was all going fine until the enemy said, oh, you want to rise up and build? Well, then we're going to rise up and oppose whatever you want to do in the name of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Anytime we want to step out in the name of Jesus... Things might be going so well in life. You might be feeling like, man, I'm just walking on clouds. This is so great. And then you say, you know what? We're going to go to church tonight. And then all of a sudden it's dun da 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 You know, things are stopping you. You get a ticket. You're arguing with your spouse. You know, you, you find out that you've got called back into work. It's just warfare like crazy because the enemy knows that if we continue to go on in the name of the Lord, there's amazing things that God wants to do in and through your life to this world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. And so he wants to set you on a hill. And so Nehemiah's people started to say, let's rise up and build, but they wanted to rise up and oppose. And in the first nine verses of chapter four, we see how the enemy attacks from the outside. So let's read chapter four, verses one through nine. It says, but it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. So there's the first attack, the, the mockery, the putting down, the scoffing. And so the Bible says, and he spoke before his brothers and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? So they're belittling the project. They're 
putting it down, just kind of painting this mental picture of how feeble Israel is, and they couldn't get anything accomplished in the name of the Lord. And so it says in verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, well, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. And here's Nehemiah's response in verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. I mean, look at the way they see us, Lord. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Nehemiah wasn't messing around, was he? He was just like, Lord, you know what? Whatever they said, let us be rubber, let them be glue. You know what I mean? That whole thing. And so he said, let it stick, whatever they're saying to us, so that they would reap what they're trying to sow. And so that's what he was saying. Don't cover their iniquity. Don't forgive them, God. Don't let their sin be blotted out from before you because they've provoked you to anger before the builders. Can you imagine? Nehemiah must have been getting hot. And as he's getting hot, just realizing that these people are trying to stop what God wants to do, Nehemiah himself is probably getting a little hot as well. Lord, just don't block out their sin. Don't forgive them. Let their sin just push them down. Lord, they're really making you angry, you know? And, and he's the one who's getting worked up over it. But I thought that was great because, <clears throat> excuse me, that was God's attitude towards the, the building as well. Lord, God is able to accomplish what he sets out to do. And so the Bible says in verse 6, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build our wall. And our adversaries said, they'll neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them, the Jews who dwelt near them uh, came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn they will be upon us. Now we're going to stop right there for just a few moments. So there's a few things we're going to see tonight. We're going to see how the effects of the enemy are seen from within. Verses 10 through the end of the chapter, you see what's taking place inside their mind. How are they processing the attacks? How are they processing what happens when their work is being threatened internally? And so we're going to look at defeating discouragement and what are the tactics the enemy uses and what's our reaction supposed to be to all of it. The first thing we find is in verses 10 through 12, we look at the causes of discouragement. I, I think it's really fitting because you see in verse 10, the Bible says, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Hey, we're wiped out. We are overworked and underpaid. We don't know what's going on, but Judah is starting to become discouraged because they're becoming physically fatigued. They're wiped out and too tired. 
these words, this, this phrase, failing or giving out. In Hebrew, it has a connotation of a worker kind of tottering under the weight of a load, ready to fall at any step. Has anybody helped um, anybody move or you've moved heavy objects in the past? There's only just a couple of you, huh? Okay. Wow, that's amazing. I want to use you guys to help us move. No. Um, so, you know, when it's, there's always somebody that, you know, you help to move. And there's, there's just this one thing they kind of play it down a little bit. Hey, yeah, we also just need help with the refrigerator. You know? And, when, and you just know that there's going to be one object that's going to be incredibly difficult to maneuver or it's going to be super heavy to carry. And I was helping a friend one time moving and the refrigerator was the item. She said refrigerator, but what she meant to say or should have said was a large concrete block, you know? And... And when we went to move this object, um, you know, we were, we were bringing it into the entryway, and it was a, a hardwood floor, but it was a hardwood floor that had a bunch of dirt on it. And so as I'm backing up, I'm trying to sustain this thing, but I'm sliding on it. And, and as I'm sliding, I'm losing grip. I can't hang on to this thing anymore. And so all I can do is just to back out as quickly as possible, and this refrigerator just boom, came right down. And all I hear on the other end is this lady go, ah, you know, are you okay? I should have played with it a little bit, but I said, no, I'm fine, you know, um, throw ketchup or something. I don't know. But, you know, <clears throat> but it was, it was heavy and I was, I felt like I was tottering under it. it. I was physically fatigued in addition to sliding out from under the, the load. And the way this verse is written in Hebrew reflects that it's a poem form in two lines with five words. In other words, it was most likely written in this way because it was a song that they were quoting to Nehemiah that the laborers were singing. Did you get that? They're singing about how their strength is failing. What kind of song does that sound like today? We call that the blues. They were singing the blues. Da, 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 you know, can't build no more walls or something like that. You know, don't know what to do. Um, and so, or you can maybe, I don't know, maybe you think it's like a country song, you know? They're singing country music to each other. They, they lost their girl. They lost their dog and truck. And now they're losing their strength. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, you know, you've heard what happens when you play a country song backwards. You get your girl back, you get your truck back, you get all those things, you know. But that's what was taking place with these people. And the thing that we have to realize sometimes is one of the, the powerful tools that the enemy uses to discourage you and I is simply the tool of tired, the tool of being fatigued. When you're physically tired, it can be an effective tool in the hands of the enemy because it's much easier to become discouraged when you're tired. You notice that? I mean, I know that I'm talking to a group of people who've had a long day today. Probably for some of you, it was all that you could do just to, you know, go from work to grabbing something to eat just to show up in time here. Because your flesh is going, oh, I don't know. And then there's things that you're thinking about going on at home. Things that are going on at work. And the enemy wants to amplify those things to make them worse. But tonight, God wants you to rest. God wants you and I to be like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. Do you know why? 
because Jesus told Martha as he was rebuking her, those things that Mary has heard and has, she's received will not be taken away. So when you're receiving the word, when God is speaking to you, he's saying, hey, you might be going through the rest of the week some things, but this is the thing that's going to stay with you. This is what's going to provide strength and encouragement and hope for the rest of your week. And so they were tired. Fatigue settled in when half the wall is built. Fatigue can be a powerful thing. And notice, the Bible says, by this time, they were halfway. Verse 6 says, the, the wall was up to half its height. And I think that can be a dangerous part of a work of God, the halfway point, you know? Guard against that continual fatigue. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 6, 31, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. My question to you tonight is, do you make time to rest physically? And do you make time to rest in God's presence? Do you say, Lord, tonight, right now, lunchtime, or before I start my day, I need to make sure that I'm not just going through the Bible, you know, oh, a verse a day keeps the devil away. All right, let's find out what we have. Or no, no, you, you simply sit there, excuse me, you sit there and you say, I want to sit and, and not go until I hear from you. You might go through a chapter. You might go through a verse. You might go through just a sentence, and the Lord's saying, this is for you. This is what I have for you, and that's the kind of rest. So that's the first thing. It's fatigue. That's one of the easiest ways to become discouraged. The second might surprise you a little bit. It's friendship. What? Yeah, it's friendship. Why is that? Well, because Judah was considered to be the strongest tribe among the children of Israel. They were the tribe of kings, of David, and of Solomon. Judah was told that he was going to be a leader among his brothers. You can write this down and take a look at it later. But in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 and 10, <clears throat> um, the, uh, Israel had said to his children, um, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Can you imagine that being said by your father. I imagine Judah's kind of like, uh-huh, tell me a little bit more, right? He's kind of feeling good about that. Now listen to what he says. Your hand shall be on the back of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. And the scepter, listen to this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, or peace, the prince of peace, comes. Oh, I wish we had time to go into this story, but that's another study altogether. Um, so why Judah? Why was one of the strongest tribes weakening and becoming discouraged? And this is where we turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Would you do that for me, please? <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 17. This is interesting. The Bible says, Also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And the letters of Tobiah came to them. Now you may stop right there. You may think, okay, great. What's the problem? Tobiah was the enemy who was trying to stop the work of God going forward. And Judah is hanging out. They're pen pals. 
They're writing back and forth. Hey, Tobes, how's it going? What's been going on with you late, lately, you know? And Tobiah's like, well, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out. We're over in Samaria. Wish we had a wall like you guys did. You know, we're going to do some sort of worship center going on. Well, can we help you guys out? No, we're cool over here. But you know what? There's this guy, Nehemiah, that's going to help us out. Oh, really? And they're chatting up Tobiah to Nehemiah. And they're telling Nehemiah about what's going on with him. They're hanging out and cooperating with the enemy. They were mild-mannered with the enemy. They had open, unhindered communication. There was friendship with the enemy that was stronger than their commitment to the work of God. Here's the point. God wants to do a work in your life and through your life. And you will be discouraged sometimes by the people that, whose company you keep. You ever, did, you, did you hear that? Sometimes the enemy will bring you down and discourage you to hinder the work of God in your life by the company you keep. See, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I'll show you what it's going to look like. And sometimes we go, oh, that's not true. Come on. I'll never forget when my mom told me, hey, I don't want you hanging out with that Byron kid. He's, he's not really any good. I, I, I don't like the way he treats you. Oh, mom, you're fine. Three weeks later, Byron and I are wrestling and we're fighting because he tried to take my girlfriend. You know, I'm like, what a great friend. Thanks. That's the father talking to us, though, saying, hey, you know what? Watch out for whose company you keep. The Bible calls that being unequally yoked in 2 Corinthians. Guard your heart. So that was the first thing. The, the friendship, they were mild-mannered towards the enemy. And then verse 18 of chapter 6 says, Many in Judah were pledged to him, Tobiah, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Now we go, okay, well, that's nice. Translation, their ties in marriage were stronger than their commitment to the Lord. They were getting together with Tobiah, intermarrying so they could have stronger relationships together. The last thing, they were not only mild-mannered towards the enemy, not only married towards the enemy, but they were manipulated by him as well. In verse 19, they reported his good deeds before me, Nehemiah's writing, and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So the bottom line is, Tobiah is using all the information about me to find out my weaknesses, to use it against me. And these people in the tribe of Judah had no idea what was going on and because they were just going along with him. I think the same thing can be true when it comes to the way I've seen the enemy use single believers time after time. What he wants to do is he'll, he'll find that perfect person you know, the person who says, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I've got a Bible. I go to church. I do all the right things. But after you begin to dialogue with somebody who you think is a strong believer, but they're inconsistent in their love for the Lord, folks, if you're a single believer in here tonight, the Lord wants you to know if you are absolutely not certain their walk is strong with Jesus, break off that relationship with them. Have nothing to do with that. Because what God wants to do in and through you 
If that person is God's will for you, then he's going to bring your paths in alignment together. And he's going to do a great work through that. So Judah became a discourager among the ranks of God's people. So we find fatigue. We find friendship. But we also find frustration. Go back with me to chapter 4, verse 10. Now Judah says, not only is the strength of the laborers failing, but there's so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. I'm sorry, what did you call this? There's so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. Who, who referred to this as rubbish? Well, when you go up earlier, the enemies of God are referring to this in verse 2, saying, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? They're referring to the wall of God as rubbish. And now Judah is adopting the same language as the enemy. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it might be, you know, the wall of God, but it's really trash. It's just really not that big a deal. Be careful when we start hanging around with them. Rubbish. Now, I think that within the walls that had been in that condition for a hundred years, cleaning out the debris, cleaning out the, 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 um, the leftovers was essential before any major building could be done. Otherwise, the walls wouldn't stand at all. You know what? I find the same thing is true with our lives. Before God can do a work on building significantly, there's sometimes in our lives where it's true, there's rubbish that needs to be removed before he can do that significant work. Did you catch that? There's rubbish sometimes that lingers within my heart and within my life that God still wants to move out. Do you realize the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, right? Each of us has turned to the, his, his own way. Well, the funny thing about sheep is when they walk throughout the valleys, when they walk along the paths, their wool actually attaches to the things that they walk through. So what happens is there's a lot of dirt that clings to their, um, their wool, their, their fur, if you will. And then as time goes by, if they're not cleansed, if they don't get, you know, um, uh, the haircut shorn, if you will, then that's going to bring them down more and more and more. And so the shepherd, the good shepherd has to come along and he has to cut that. He has to clean that so that they can continue to walk with him. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? See, there are times where the rubbish, the things that, of the world that try to cling to us need to be washed away. The Bible refers, Paul refers to the Bible as the washing of the water of the word in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus said, you are clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And as a believer, we need to continually be washed. We need to continue to say, Lord, I need you to, to cleanse me so that... <clears throat> I can allow you to do the work that you want to do. I think that there's some of us tonight who feel like, man, why, why am I just not going forward with the Lord? Why, why do I feel like it's three steps forward and two steps back in my walk with Jesus? I want to suggest tonight maybe there's some rubbish that's been hanging on to your life, to your heart, and to your thoughts. And tonight, the Lord is saying, like the sheep, if we will allow that to continue to go on, you know what's going to happen? Like the sheep in that time, as it would weigh them down, sometimes they would be cast over 
And then when the sun was beating down on them because of the gases in their stomach, their stomachs would start to bloat and they would explode. I mean, internally, they would just, it would kill them. See, God is trying to tell us tonight. He's trying to remind us and wake us up. Hey, there's a, a work that I'm doing in building, but I want you to pay attention because I will, I will remove those things if you'll give me permission. I think there's sometimes, though, if I'm honest and if you're honest as well, there's some things that we're just ashamed to even admit to the Lord. Lord, I, I don't even want to talk about this thing because I've been in bondage to it for so long. I don't, I don't even want to talk about the, the drugs or the alcohol or the pride or the anger or the pornography because it's been like a monkey on my back and I can't forgive myself so I can't imagine how you would forgive me. And you have to realize the Bible says in Lamentations that through God's mercies we are not consumed, eaten up, overwhelmed, his compassion fails not. His love is renewed for you and I every single morning. Man, I'm so thankful for that. Does that encourage you? Because it certainly encourages me. And he wants you to know tonight, if you'll surrender that, then he'll give you the power to overcome it. <clears throat> you may be discouraged because you've squandered so much life of life in maybe a wrecked marriage or maybe poorly raising your kids or in other tragic mistakes that you've made. And now as you look at the second half of your life coming up, you're filled with, if you will, the rubbish of regret. And it takes up so much time and space in our head, but God wants to clear that away. George, or excuse me, Gordon MacDonald in his book, A Resilient Life, said, quote, I have insisted that one must anticipate that the greatest contributions God has for us to make will happen in the second half of life. I'm speaking to you who are maybe 40 and above, and you look back at the mistakes that you've made and say, man, my life is just filled with this regret. Instead of saying, God wants to use me because the things that I've learned, now I can share with other people who will be encouraged as well. God wants to use you tonight. And so, <clears throat> keep that in mind. So, the last thing is the fighting and fear. Look at verses 11 and 12. And so they go on. Judas continuing to go on. They say, our adversary said, they're neither going to know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, now, when the Jews who dwelt near them, near the enemy, came, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So the threats are going on. They're, they're fighting. There's fear that's coming as a result of being so close to the enemy. That's a dangerous place. They lost their security. It caused the work to cease. This happens when one of our sources of security are removed from us in a tangible way. Maybe it's our employment. You'll be able to tell if your security is placed in a job by your reaction when you lose that job. Does discouragement settle in? The enemies knew <clears throat> the only way the work was going to cease was if God's people were taken out of the picture, if they were killed. Because up to this point, nothing else seemed to deter them. But that can't be said of every believer. 
For some believers, if the enemy can get a foothold in your life through discouragement, compromise, sin, money, relationships, pride, then he can use us right in the midst of our marriage and our work and our church. And so we have to be on guard that much more. Notice this phrase, they know, uh, excuse me, they will neither know <coughs> nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. They were so committed that the only way for the work to stop was to take them out. And in other words, they wanted to hear them say, I'll stop building this wall when you pry this trowel from my cold, dead fingers. That's the kind of determination that Nehemiah wanted to cultivate within these people. This was uh, whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. That was a, a, an idiomatic expression, meaning, hey, they're going to come at us from all sides. It's another source of discouragement from within. When you live near the source of continual put-downs or discouragement, you will be affected by it. So, so that's, that's the cause. Those are some of the causes. But what's our response supposed to be when we see those things taking place? Look at verses 13 and on. So here's Nehemiah's response. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. And if you have a highlighter or a marker, this is what you want to underline. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Ah, encouraging. I love seeing that. And so, as a result, we find that Nehemiah now positions God's people. He's saying, Therefore, I put these people at key points of the wall where there's openings so that the enemy, if he tried to get in, they would be right there to stop him. And then I also put them according to their families. So people weren't, you know, defending the wall all by themselves. They had the reasons for fighting, the reasons for defending the wall right around them. But I love this. I love what happens here in response in verse 13. He says, I positioned men in the lower parts of the wall, and then I looked and arose. Nehemiah didn't react when he first received the news. He didn't just respond to the, peoples of Judah, uh, the people of Judah's exasperation, but he didn't react until he saw that those who were living near the enemy were living in fear. He reminded them of what the fight was all about. He reminded them what the building of the wall was all about the protection and preservation <clears throat> of their families so that they could worship God in safety. And now that safety was being challenged. Aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about that? Aren't you glad that in the United States of America, we can worship God free of fear of persecution? The, the worst thing we have to worry about right now is, you know, being called uh, intolerant or, you know, people say that we're unloving or oh, okay, you're not going to kill me, right? I'm just, you're saying I'm just mean. Oh, okay, well, you know, Jesus loves you, but uh, there's nothing I can do if, if you think that about me. I'll pray for you and I'll continue to share with you, but unless you're, you know, if you're not going to try and take me out, then if that's the worst, then praise God. We're, we should be a thankful people because of that. In our home, 
should also be a safe place as well in our nation. But it's not. The walls of the home are being eroded by our culture. When people are told that the role of mom and dad can be rewritten, when people are told that children are no longer safe in the restrooms, home should be a safe place for our kids. And we need to protect our homes as well as when the enemy of biblical principles threatens that safety. And it's happening more and more. You know, the, the, the gender identity confusion that's taking place. When we say, you know, we'll let a, a young child um, define what their gender actually is. I, I'm not going to, you know, let my young child use an iPhone all by themselves, let alone determine what kind of gender they have. You know, I, I want to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And men, this is where we need to take a stand. Moms, dads, we need to stand in these areas so that the love of God is able to run freely through our homes without confusion of what's right or wrong so that our kids and our families are able to know where we stand in response to what the culture is throwing at us. Jesus said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so look at what Nehemiah does in response to that, verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Or I should say, yeah, great and awesome. <clears throat> and fight for your children. Here's one thing that we have to recognize. Nehemiah understood the power of fear. He recognized that fear is a powerful tool in the enemy. Do you know that you and I will do, motivated by fear, what no other motivation would cause us to do? Oh, I'll never forget Disneyland, 1976. There was no way you were going to get me on that crazy-looking uh, ride, that roller coaster. I swore up and down, I'll let you take me on the fun rides, but there's no way. And so I hung on to the bars of that thing while my family members tried to pry me away from. And I was screaming, no, no, no. And little did I know that that roller coaster ride had nothing to do with Mr. Toad's wild ride that I was actually going to be going on. But I was afraid and I didn't know any better. And I was hanging on for dear life. Researchers at Johns Hopkins University reported that 30 years ago, the greatest fears of grade school children were one, animals, two, being in a dark room, three, high places, four, strangers, and five, loud noises. Today, the same study concluded that kids are afraid of divorce, nuclear war, cancer, pollution, and being mugged, and GMOs. No, I'm just kidding, not GMOs. <laughs> but, I mean, you can see how different the fears are, right? I mean, what a different world we live in. But here's the thing. Fearful people spread fear, and that in turn produces defeat. Fear is very contagious, Years ago, we were at a, um, we were high school counselors, and we had a retreat um, for winter camp. And so <clears throat> when we were on a hike at midnight, there were some counselors who hid in bushes in a bear costume. And they were, they were thinking, oh, this will be fun, la, la, la. And so as we're hiking throughout the place, in the middle of the night, you know, somebody comes out in a bear costume. One kid screamed, and then 50 other kids screamed and ran in all different directions. Actually, 70 kids immediately ran in all the opposite directions. It was crazy. 
Nehemiah, however, understood how to dispel fear. He knew the key to remedy the fear of the people was remember the Lord. It's almost oversimplified, isn't it? Remember the Lord. But see, somebody said that Christianity is simple, but it's not always easy. And for you and I, God wants us, when we're in the midst of those circumstances, remember who He is. Remember how great He is. Remember what He's able to do. And when we're going through those difficult circumstances is when we need to remember it all the more. There was a medical doctor who was quoted as saying, fears are the most disruptive and destructive things we can have. And you know, some of the fears that we experience Dr. Harold Sala says many of them are the what-if fears. What if my, I, I should get sick? What if my spouse dies? What if I lose my money? What if I get into an accident? What if I get cancer? What if I'm the victim of a terrorist attack? What if my plane crashes? See, everyone has the what-if fears, but what we do with those fears is what causes us to move forward or to remain paralyzed where we are. Nehemiah was saying, confront the fear. Don't be afraid of them. First and foremost, we just need to acknowledge that sometimes to the Lord. Lord, I'm not handling this right now. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I think sometimes we have a hard time admitting that to ourselves though. No, I'm fine. I've got everything under control. When inside, we're trembling like crazy. Be honest and simply say, Lord, I want to give this over to you because I can't do this on my own. And when we don't acknowledge our fears, they grow. But when we confront fears, they tend to shrink in their size and in their intensity. That's what God is trying to cause us to do. Second thing, remember the Lord. Great and awesome. It's been said, if we will fear the Lord, we won't be afraid of any other enemy. See, Nehemiah's heart was so captivated by God that nothing else came in a second, uh, in a close second. So here's my question for you. What captivates your heart tonight? Because there's only going to be one thing that stands on your heart's throne at a time. And are you captivated by how great God is? How awe-inspiring He is? Or as time has gone by in your relationship with Him, has it kind of just become second nature? Just God is, you know, yeah, I love the Lord. He's great. He's fine. He's wonderful. You say all the right things, but the reality is different in your heart. What, what prevents us from having that? He says, remember. You know that, I know that many of the things that I'm sharing tonight, they're not new. But of all the things that the Lord tries to teach us through His Word, when you sit on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, you're going to find that a good many of those things are not new, but they're reminders of things that we need to remember over and over. Peter said, I want to stir you up by way of reminder in his epistle. Tonight, God says, hey, I want to stir you up so that you remember that I really am great and awesome. And if you'll give me the opportunity... I can quench your fears. David said in Psalm 34, let me read it to you really quick. <clears throat> Listen to what he says here. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Verse 4, before that he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He wants to deliver us from all of our fears. If we're discouraged tonight, listen, you got to remember the Lord. Where was the last point you were when your heart was so captivated by how great and how awesome our God is? We, we serve a God who the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The psalmist declares, you spoke and it was, you commanded and it stayed in its place. That's the God who the Bible tells us in, in Colossians that Jesus holds all things together. There's nothing difficult, there's nothing impossible for God to do in and through your life tonight. So if you're discouraged, if fear has gripped your heart, then he wants to do a work. Listen, last thing. <clears throat> They were building a wall, and they thought they were just building something physical. God says in Isaiah 49 that your walls are ever before me. The walls of the children of Israel was their very lives, and God says, it's always in front of me. Tonight, as we're trying to build our lives, we want to have a good life. God says, listen, that life is found in me. Don't do it without me. Psalm 118 tells us that Jesus Christ, or tells us that the the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And if you're trying to build your life tonight without Jesus Christ, you're building it without the chief cornerstone. He wants to allow, or he wants to be part of what you want to do. He wants to be the center of your life for everything. But there's that sin that keeps us from God. And if we surrender that to him, then we'll have our sins taken care of and he'll rebuild those walls that will never be taken down. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word tonight. Thank you for reminding us of who we are in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just cause us to be discouraged no more, to be delivered from that and to have victory over that. Lord, as the enemy tries to bring us down through fatigue, through fear, Lord, even through the friendships that we have, we pray that you would help us to overcome those by remembering who you are. Oh, there's so many different sources, but Jesus, uh, there's so many different sources that try to bring us down, but there's one source that can pull us out of all of that. And Lord, we thank you for being that present help in time of need. Tonight, I pray for those in here who may be going through discouragement, that you would just lift them up. Lord, maybe they're, they're looking at rubble in their life, thinking that you could never clear that away. I just want to ask by a show of hands, maybe you hear the Lord speaking to you, and he's encouraging you tonight, reminding you that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think, but he wants you to surrender that because he's not going to force you to give that rubble over to him. He wants to build once again what maybe sin has taken away. If that's you in here tonight, would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I've been ashamed to even bring this up. I want to surrender this to you. Will you take it? Go ahead and hold up your hand so I can pray for you wherever you are. All right, I see you all over the place. Over here, over here, right there, back there, way back there, right up here. 
back there, all over the place, back there, right there, here, 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 over there. All right, God bless you. You back there as well. Anybody else? All right, you as well. All right, God bless you guys. Listen, it's through the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, he simply wants to take that sin because it was nailed to the cross of Calvary. And surrendering your life to him afresh and anew is the only way that God is going to be able to, to say, this is the wall that I've built. It's built because of my son Jesus and a life that's been surrendered to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these who have raised their hands. I pray that you would just cleanse them, that you would forgive them. And Lord, the world has beat them down. Their sin has been a, a shadow over them and the enemy has used it. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to acknowledge that to you, but also, Lord, you're the great deliverer, so set them free. Thank you for the cross. You proclaimed it is finished. And so, Lord, your work is done, but we need to continually surrender to you afresh and anew each day so that your work in our lives can begin every single day. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for being all that we need in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.